So as you know, a big role that a primary care provider has in supporting people in their local community or region is keeping them healthy or treating them when they get sick, which is super important. But then you scale that out a little bit. So who's helping the GPs, the allied health providers, the population that's delivering that care? Who's helping connect it all together and bring it into context to ultimately ensure the community as a whole is healthier and more connected? Well, in Australia, often a big chunk of that stuff is managed by primary health networks. And today I'm joined by Elise Kuman from Gippsland PHN to talk about their region and the specific health needs right now and the role that technology plays in delivering on all of those. Importantly, we'll also drill into the execution and implementation side of things and a lot more too. So here we go. Collaboration starts with the conversation. Team Health Tech, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Elise Kuman, Manager of Digital Health and Integration at Gippsland Primary Health Network. She has qualifications in health promotion, public health, and project management. Elise draws on systems thinking techniques to create sustainable change through a range of innovative projects and is committed to driving digital capability in Gippsland. Hey, Elise, how are you doing? I'm lovely, Q. How are you? Really good. Thanks for coming on the show. Great to have you. I feel like we've been trying to organize this interview for 15 years, but it's great to have you uh, finally on. The stars align. So thank you so much for coming on. That they have. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's a really important one too. I, like, Firstly, a little bit more about yourself, please, Elise. Tell us about your background. Yeah, thank you. So I've always had a passion for health and originally I worked in preventative health for several years, working towards building settings that are conducive to healthy behaviors before transitioning into working for a primary health network or a PHN, as you said. Mm. And it's at the PHN where my passion for digital health really became clear. I soon came to understand and appreciate the opportunity that digital health provides. Uh, and it's something that I hadn't seen before. And the achievements that we have made at Gippsland PHN simply gives me goosebumps. There is nothing better than speaking to a health service or health professionals that are implementing one of our digital tools and hearing stories from on the ground and, and hearing how that they have improved patient outcomes and it makes all the hard work worth every single minute. I love when that happens. That's so awesome. To take it back one, for those that aren't totally familiar with PHNs and primary health networks, what do PHNs do? Yes, great question. So across Australia, there are 31 primary health networks, or we often refer to ourselves as PHNs. And PHNs are independent organisations funded federally to coordinate primary care within their own regions. So as PHNs, we assess the needs of our community and we commission health services so that people within our region get the coordinated care when and where they need it. Uh, PHNs predominantly have three key roles. As I said, commission health services to meet the needs of the people within our region and address those gaps in primary care. PHNs also work really closely with general practitioners and other health professionals to build the capacity of the health workforce to deliver that high quality care. And we also strive towards integrating health services at the local level to create a better experience for people and the better use of health resources and aim to eliminate service duplications where possible. Got it. And so you mentioned there's 31 different PHNs around covering different areas. I imagine the needs in every kind of area is a little bit unique and you're covering Gippsland specifically. What are the biggest priorities and activities that are focused on there? Yeah, great question again. And Gippsland, for those that aren't aware, is based in Victoria. 
And the main health issues that we see at Gippsland include mental health, alcohol and other drugs, chronic diseases such as cardiac, respiratory-related issues and also diabetes. Specifically in Gippsland, we often report a high rate of unplanned hospital admissions and also preventable emergency department presentations as well. And probably more specifically to the digital health and integration team, we work towards access for everyone everywhere. So we aim to support patients use technologies to improve access to services to support reducing that burden and demand. We also strive for what we say is borderless systems, so supporting the transparent communication and information exchange amongst providers and health practitioners. Yeah, very cool. And in terms of a day-to-day, like what actually goes on at a PHN, at a high level, like understanding how that all kind of goes, right? But in terms of like what you're actually, you're engaging with GPs or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a team that provide practice support to our general practices. So we have obviously a large number of general practices in Gippsland, And we have a practice support team that provide that practice information sharing. We have a training and events team that provide training and events to health professionals within our region to build their capacity. We commission a lot of health services as well. So we look at commissioning mental health services. And again, it's really based on what the needs are within our region. We've touched on a little bit in this and in previous episodes as well around the concept of digitally enabled (laughs) models of care and its importance but, you know, to you, like what's when we talk about digitally enabled models of care, what does that mean and why is it important? Yeah, so speaking more broadly, a model of care defines the way health services or healthcare are delivered. And models of care outlines best practice care for a service, a person, a population group or a patient cohort. And at Gippsland PHN, we have searched nationally and internationally to ensure that what we procure is the right digital technology to support the improved outcomes for our community. And we have some excellent platforms and technology solutions, but they're not a model of care. So to support the platforms, we needed to develop a model of care that wraps around that digital health platform. And in my experience, a digitally enabled model of care, it is paramount. It really brings that digital platform to life for health professionals. So when we're developing a model of care, we look at a number of different aspects. So We look to ensure that the model of care, it's patient-centric. We aim to ensure that it supports integrated, safe and quality care for patients, that it actually is efficient in the utilisation of clinical resources. And ultimately, the model of care considers new ways of organising and delivering healthcare. So, for example, we have a remote patient monitoring program in Gippsland and we spent the large part of probably 12 to 18 months consulting over hundreds of health professionals being asked really, really tough questions, redefining that model over and over again for chronic disease management to drive that change and support the implementation. You touched on, you know, different tools and platforms that are used. So my understanding is the PHN doesn't like build a technology solution itself, but partnering with different players to be able to put together a program, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. So at Gippsland PHN, we often go out to tender. So we we develop tender specifications to go out to tender to the market to determine what is the best solution to suit us. So we definitely don't develop the digital health tools and technologies. We explore what's out there and then bring that to Gippsland and adapt that and build the model of care for Gippsland for our community and for our health providers. Yeah, cool. And to do that, you'd really, I would imagine you'd have to have a good understanding of the workflow and everything that's happening in the practices for GPs and healthcare providers to be able to pull something together that would solve for needs. I imagine that's a big focus for you on a day-to-day? 
It's huge. It's, it's a large component of the work we do across all of our projects in the digital health and integration team. And at fear of putting this really simply, um, for me, implementation of a digital technology, it's a bit of a three-phase process. So phase one, you explore and you procure the right solution that meets the needs for patients and providers. Mm. Phase two is you consult and you co-design a model of care. Then phase three, you work with the health providers to implement that model of care into those existing workflows. So going back to the model of care, it's important that we're developing that model, that you need to get the balance right. The model needs to provide guidance and structure, but it also needs to be flexible and adaptable in different settings. And this is a way to ensure sustainability and that the new way of working becomes the core part of those workflows. So again, for example, we support several general practices in Gippsland rollout this remote patient monitoring project, yet they all do it slightly different. They all have their own nuances which make it work for them. And the team and I, we roll up our sleeves and we facilitate brainstorming sessions with health services. And depending on the health services and their needs, we might start, for example, at the beginning of a patient journey. So, for example, we might work with a health service to identify how are they going to identify suitable patients to be involved in this program. Mm. Is it about completing risk stratification from existing practice data? Is it about identifying those patients that have a, an existing chronic disease management plan? Is it as simple as putting a reminder in the GP consulting room to say, is your patient suitable to be involved in this project? And it could be about redefining the roles and responsibilities within that health service to make the project work. And as we roll out this program to more and more health services, we are creating a toolbox of solutions and strategies that support us to better support our health services. You know, and we are really fortunate to be working with some wonderful vendors and they listen to our feedback and they've made some great enhancements rather to support the integration of workplace based on our feedback. Yeah, having that feedback loop between not just vendors and providers, but also the PHNs is pretty critical in building solutions that are sustainable. I agree. I'm thinking about implementing technology in primary care and sustainability and all of that. Something that often comes up as a big factor to consider there is change management. And I would guess that PHNs spend a lot of time focusing on change management with primary care as well. Yeah, absolutely. Again, change management is a huge component of our work and simply without a change management process or a focus, we wouldn't be successful. You know, we embed change management throughout the project life cycle. And again, bringing it back to that model of care, the aim of the model of care is to bring about improvements in service delivery through effective change. And in some instances, we are asking health services to change the way they provide care to patients. So the model needs to be considerate of this. The model needs to take on a considered change management approach and process. So we provide support and we prepare health services to understand what are they trying to achieve and what will it take for that to be successful. And again, this ties back to the integration into workflows. This is all part of the change management process that we do with our health service. We provide a lot of training and support, not only to build their capacity and understanding of the model of care, but also how to use the technology platform. You know, how do they perform those key functions? And we have refined our training and our education strategies to incorporate both the patient and also the health professional perspective to bring that whole puzzle together. And we invest a lot of our time in ensuring that health professionals have the capacity 
and also the confidence to talk to their patients about being involved in some of our programs. So, you know, why is a patient being asked to participate in the program? What are the benefits of being involved in the project? And being confident to have those challenging conversations about data and privacy. <laughs> a practice nurse said to me, oh, I've got a couple of patients that don't want to be involved because they think you're going to get their bank details. So it's about having those conversations, but then building their confidence to even have those conversations. Yeah, that's a um, important factor around the trust side. And often that doesn't happen if the level of understanding and expectations and how things happen is misaligned. I'm just thinking in a practical sense, on a day to day, if I was a GP and I'm implementing a digitally enabled model of care or I'm using new technology, how often would a GP reach out to say a vendor versus a PHN? Like what's that engagement like on a day to day for those that don't know how that kind of all plays out? It depends. <laughs> uh, it really depends on the project. A lot of our projects, we implement nurse-based models of care, and so predominantly they're being implemented by the practice nurse with the support of the general practitioner. The team and I, we have an open-door policy. No question is silly, and we want our health professionals to reach out for us. I, I hate the thought of any health professional being out there with that uneasy feeling in their stomach because they don't know what they should be doing or they made a mistake or they're unsure or they're unclear. So we definitely have that open door policy and we get the most simplest of simple questions and they just for reassurance that they're doing the right thing. And we also get some really challenging questions where we respond Great question. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you within an hour. Yeah. So it, it really depends. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And then building on that too, thinking about both having the confidence in using these platforms, but also from a vendor's perspective, you know, I, I often hear of vendors get frustrated that GPs or health providers aren't tech savvy enough and they're not adopting technology in a rapid way. And so it comes back to the conversation around digital literacy. Is that an issue in primary care or is there a bit more to it? That's a really challenging question to answer, I must admit. I do feel digital literacy plays a part in the hesitation to adopt digital technologies, but I don't think it's the whole reason. You know, health, in particular in primary care, in many instances, it's a fee-for-service model. And I've been asked up front, how do I get paid for this? And it's that notion that I feel drives some of the hesitation. You know, there is also the assumption that implementing change takes time, which for an already time poor health professional can be a deterrent for adopting some of these digital technologies. And whilst the idea is somewhat true, the benefits that can be gained from using digital technology to support more effective and efficient use of resources in the health system, I believe outweighs that idea. We at Gipsone PHN completed a digital health maturity assessment of general practice last year. And that really put a lot of our assumptions to the test. And we found that there's a range of factors such as willingness, readiness and the culture. And yes, also digital literacy that plays a role and contributes to a general practice's overall maturity to be in a position to adopt digital technology. So, you know, for example, a practice could have all the infrastructure but they may not have the culture that supports implementation. They may have a willingness to drive change, but they lack the basic infrastructure to be able to support that change. And in my experience, you know, being tech savvy or digital literate, it's not specific to GPs. Like we are seeing this across a range of health professionals from practice nurses, from allied health professionals, and in both the primary and the acute setting. So some health professionals, they just aren't adequately skilled to uptake digital enabled models of care and they're not digital competent, but also respecting that they're not digital natives. They haven't grown up 
with an iPhone or an iPad or a tablet or, you know, using a PC on, on a daily basis as well. It's good to put these things into practice too, thinking in real world examples and hearing those stories about, you know, people who've come out the other side and successfully implemented some technology or solved some real problems. You got any examples there to share? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got some great examples of implementation across digital technologies from what we consider to be your more foundational tools, so secure messaging, lighthouse records, to some of your more advanced technologies such as your remote patient monitoring. So we've started to see our health professional use clinical intelligence platforms to identify patients with chronic disease conditions to better support their recall process, to better support their care planning. And it's made it much easier for care coordinators to to send reminders rather and to monitor patients in that way. You know, we've heard reports of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout has led to a greater exposure to my health record. So greater usage, a greater uptake of my health record. Also, COVID-19, we've seen telehealth become part of day-to-day practice, in general practice, and also e-prescribing. In your basic fundamental tools, such as secure messaging, we are continuing to see positive change in this space. You know, we received information from a general practice that had set up secure messaging and had become to understand that for the admin staff, you know, it was better allocation of correspondence. They now are confident in the way that the messages are being exchanged and it's automatic and it's not open to human error. And whilst it's a very foundational aspect of secure messaging for this practice, that's a really huge step that we needed to celebrate. And looking at some of our more advanced digital models of care, they're really starting to come into their own. So with our remote patient monitoring project, By reporting on both symptoms and vital signs, coupled with coaching techniques from our health team, patients are being educated on their symptoms and they're being provided with strategies to support the management of their conditions. And these health professionals now have a greater visibility over their patient's symptoms and their vital signs, and they're in a much better and stronger position to be able to detect deterioration for early intervention in a way that we haven't seen before. What we're also seeing is the GPs are starting to acknowledge the rich data that's coming through based on PROMs and based on their vital signs, and they're using this rich information to support patient care. It's good that it's being utilised that way. And I think that, you know, that the vision often that's talked about, and it's great to hear of examples of it actually happening. And so thinking for those that are looking to do the same, whether they're PHN, like other PHNs that are listening or, you know, clinicians, GPs, whoever that's looking to realise some of these gains, are there any advice or key learnings that you can share? Yes, um, quite a few. (laughs) I feel like we could do a podcast just on this question. Yeah, Um, I think the key for me is take the time to plan and develop the models of care. Yes, you can have the best sophisticated platform, but without a model of care that brings it to life, brings it to reality for your health professionals that you want to deliver the projects, it's not going to make sense. So you need to spend the time in the planning phase doing that. And listen, listen to the feedback from the end user and use a quality improvement lens to support the integration of these digital technologies into workflows. It's really important to build a coalition of supporters. They will be your biggest champions, your advocates, and they will drive change from not only within, but they will talk to other health services and talk about the the great project and create an environment where people want to be involved in what you're doing. And when it comes to change, we know change is hard and it takes time, but celebrate the small wins because ultimately 
those small wins are changing someone's life. Amazing. We'll have to do a uh, a separate session, like a share what you know <laughs> session in the Talking Health community or something for members about just on that topic alone, because there's been some great ones to dive into there. But just to then start to close out the conversation, then Elise, thinking ahead, looking at the work you're doing in Gippsland, what's the focus for the next 6 to 12 to 24? We're really proud of what we've done to date regarding digital health. And we've worked really hard to consolidate our digital tools into what we call the digital health toolbox. So we will continue to aim to scale our projects and to continue to drive the use, the uptake, and of most importance, drive positive patient outcomes through these digital health tools. We will be looking at completing the digital health maturity assessment again. Um, This will be the second time around we're looking at doing that and really looking at using that data and that information to further support our general practices and also our PHN colleagues to provide that tailored support for general practice as well. Amazing. Love it. I'm so glad we've been able to talk through some of these. I look forward to hearing more about what's happening in Gippsland as well. And I hope then this is a good opportunity for other PHNs too to come on the show and follow your lead as well. So look, Elise, I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Listener.